Today, our guest is an individual who has studied the behavior of children for over 40 years. He has amazing parental awareness. His threshold is a simple framework to actively parent with self-awareness, empathy, and compassion, where children learn to build nurturing relationships that will exhibit love and respect for others. Over 44 years, he has been a pediatrician. He has developed a keen awareness of parenting skills, raising our children to be good citizens, on how to improve our communities, and advocating for children. He has many books, My Children's Children, Raising Your Young Citizens in the Age of Columbine, all about children and thinking developmentally. Welcome to the show, Dr. Robert Saul. Doctor, how are you today? I'm great. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here today. Well, thank you so much for coming on to the show. Really excited to have you here because I get to, you know, I don't talk a lot about the mindset of parenting very often because, you know, in terms of personal growth, um, that's one of the things that often don't get looked at in the personal growth realm. But I'm a father of three, getting ready to be a father of four. And my children are very important to me. Thank you. (laughs) My children are very important to me. And, you know, people ask me to define what my definition of success is. My personal definition of success is if all my children choose to follow Jesus and enter into eternity, that, that will be my definition of success. Now I can't make that happen, but I can raise them and challenge them in such a way that out of their own accord, that's the lifestyle that they choose. And, you know, our subject matter today about raising children and parenting children you know, really stems from Proverbs 22, six, which says, train up your child in the way they should go. And he or she, when they're older, will not depart from it. And you are an expert in taking care of children, developing the mindset. And I stink and I need help. So (laughs) thank you for coming. Well, let me take you on a little journey. Yes, please. Um, In terms of because sort of where my professional journey has gone is now where my personal journey is. And now the two are sort of more together, I think. Uh, finished uh, medical school in Colorado, did my uh, pediatric training in North Carolina, uh, and uh, then also did medical genetics training. Started practice in 1979 and was very engaged in everything with uh, pediatrics, medical genetics, uh, trying to, and raising a young child at my, myself at the time. Um, after about 14 years, I realized I wasn't really as engaged in the community as I should be. And I heard someone say something that has had a profound impact on me ever since. This healthcare futurist was giving a talk and said, for anything that happens in your community, I am the problem. I am the solution. I am the resource. Now, it took me a while to internalize that. Uh, But what that told me is that for anything that's going on in the community, it's not their problem. It has to be my problem. I have to take ownership in these things if I really want to make a difference. And if I want to be part of the solution, I need to devote my resources to it. 
Now we could change the pronoun in there. We are the problem. We are the solution. We are the resource. Uh, but anyway, I took this internally, got involved in a variety of things in the community thinking, well, this is, this is how I can use my energies, how I can use my expertise as a pediatrician uh, and as a hopefully uh, trusted member of the community. Six years later, April 20th, 1999, uh, two teenagers walk into a high school in Littleton, Colorado, murder 13 people and kill themselves. Columbine. Yeah. And I asked myself the question, could that happen in my community? And the answer was yes, it actually had happened. Happened yesterday, unfortunately, in Texas. Um, and then the other question I asked is, what have I done to make a difference? And the honest answer was not enough. I needed to do more. Hmm. Um, so I've started writing a series of articles for the local newspaper. And over 12 to 13 years, I wrote over 160 articles for the local newspaper about what each of us could do to improve our community. Um, I purposely sort of stayed away from a faith-based approach just because I wanted to not uh, just be more secular and try to involve everybody. Um, but I came up with what I called the five steps to community improvement. And I think this, and the reason I'm going through all of this is because it tells you where I'm going to through in terms of parenting. So stop me along the way with questions. But this, what I have learned, I think is helpful to you and your listeners. Um, the five, my five steps to community improvement are learn to be the best parent you can be. Now, I chose those words carefully. Parenting is a constant learning experience. It's lifelong learning. It's not innate. You need to always be working at it. And to be the best parent you could be. Not everyone has the same abilities. Not everyone has the same circumstances. Some, some folks, because of their socioeconomic circumstances or being in an impoverished area are much more difficult in terms of their parenting issues. So my job is not to tell them what to do. My job is to help them. My job is to gently peer behind the curtain and see what I can do to help them on their journey. Yeah. So first step to first step, learn to be the best parent you could be. Second step, get involved. Third step, stay involved, which I think is different than getting involved. It's sometimes it's easy to get involved, tough to stay involved. Fourth step, the most intuitive of all of them, but seems to be so difficult in today's divisive society, love for others. And the fifth step, I think is the most difficult is forgiveness. Um, and uh, that has been a real journey for me in terms of learning about forgiveness. And if, if you haven't read a great little book, is Tuesdays with Maury. Yes. Uh, uh, and in there, along with so many lessons, I think, is what he talked about is forgiveness. Very Three simple things. Forgive yourself first. Forgive others and do it now. Because um, you, you really oftentimes need to forgive yourself first for what you're thinking or doing or not doing before you can go on to forgive others and do it now. Um, and so I've learned, uh, looking at those five steps, um, I and learned and sort of writing these op-ed articles for over 12 or 13 years, I sort of learned a lot about myself. Initially, I used to let my wife read them. And then I 
stop because she would sometimes say, Ooh, I don't know about that one. That sounds a little preachy. And I said, I don't think you know who I'm preaching to. She said, what do you mean? I said, I'm preaching to myself. These are action steps. These are what I should be doing. Uh, and if it's helpful to others, great. So be it. Um, so I learned so much about myself in this introspective journey. Uh, and to me, that's sort of a lot of what uh, life and learning is about. Uh, taking those difficult steps, putting your own thoughts down on paper or on your keyboard or whatever we do these days, um, and committing yourself uh, to sort of action steps along the way. Now, you're going to goof up. Sometimes you're going to do it right. Sometimes you're going to do it wrong. I've oftentimes when we've been out somewhere, I'll say something and my wife says, Ooh, that's not the Bob Saul I know. That's not the Bob Saul that writes about this or that. I said, you're right. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm wrong. So I, I always need that, that gentle comeuppance uh, in terms of where, where, what I need to do and what I need to, what I need to say, but those those five steps sort of coalesced to me into a book that the first book I wrote called "My Children's Children: Raising Young Citizens in the Age of Columbine." So, because, in terms of learning to be the best parent possible for for me, what right. were some of the practical steps that an individual could take to do that? Well, that's that's sort of where my career got to the last book. So I'll, let me jump jump ahead to that then. Sort of uh, conscious parenting to me. Well, first off, the, to me the goal of parenting is very similar to yours. But I'm uh, but if you take a more secular approach, to me the goal of parenting is to be a good citizen. Good citizens care for each other. Good citizens care about each other. Good citizens empathize with, with each other. Good citizens realize we're all in this together. We have a common humanity. Um, so to me, the goal of raising your children is to make them good citizens. Um, and then happiness uh, is a, a secondary thing. But if we think about raising our children to be good citizens, and I think the words of Jesus and Christianity uh, certainly implore us to be excellent citizens uh, along the way, taking care of each other uh, and understanding our, our common frailties uh, as we go down this journey. The whole point of my last book, which is called Conscious Parenting, Using the Parental Awareness Threshold, talks about being consciously aware of where you are with your relationship with your child. And so let me give you a little background on that. When I was taking some leadership training, I went to a course from my most recent job called Conscious Leadership. And when you were conscious and you were above the line, you were open, you were receptive, you're ready to learn. When you're below the line, you're closed, you're defensive, and you're always right. And being humans, we're going to be above and below the line. Uh, we've all been in that three o'clock meeting when, we were, when we we're silent and saying to ourselves, when is this meeting going to be over? This is so boring. I cannot stand this meeting. We're, above, we're below the line. And we might want to consciously stay there, or we could recognize, whoa, I'm below the line. How can I engage differently? How can I do better? I think the same principle holds for parenting, being open, being receptive, being ready to learn in terms of where you are, where your 
where your child is developmentally and where you are in terms of interacting with them. So if you're consciously aware of that and trying to be open, receptive, and ready to learn, you're above the parental threshold. If you're below the parental threshold, you're defensive, you're closed, you're right, and because I said so, because I'm the parent. Um, And sometimes it's best to sort of listen and understand where you are. And each individual encounter sort of depends on your day, sort of depends on your circumstances, depends on your relationships to take that step back uh, and understand. So again, learning to, what can, what can we do as parents? We need to learn, we need to constantly be learning. We not need to understand, we need to alter our responses accordingly. And in the moment when we do right, great. In the moment when we do wrong, uh, and if we don't recognize it till later, hopefully apologize uh, and move forward. Let me give you an example. When I was, I think my son, my youngest son was about seven or eight. One night he did something I didn't like and I yelled at him. He just completely turned into a puddle and he was just, um, and then my wife got mad at me for yelling. And then we went into that family meltdown mode that most families have had at some point or another where nobody talks for, for a period of time. Uh, And then it was bedtime and I, was putting my son to bed, laying down with him. I said, son, I'm so sorry. You did something I think was wrong, but dad's response was completely inappropriate. And I really want to apologize. I was wrong. And he said, dad, would you be quiet? And I said, why? He said, I hate it when you're nice. So so I I guess I was aware of this conscious parent. I don't say this to, to pat myself on the back, but I guess I was aware of this conscious parenting before Uh, I even sort of came up with this paradigm. The other thing I think parents really should do is is for things that are happening, and especially something where it's not what you think it should be, pause, assess, and then choose. Um, Because oftentimes, if you take that pause, you know, that veritable deep, take a deep breath as people, as people tell you, assess the situation and choose. Oftentimes it'll be less than just a knee jerk uh, reaction. Yeah. Now you might choose the wrong thing because oftentimes we do. Um, but again, then being able to review that in retrospect with a, you know, a trusted p- person, your spouse, your best friend, your pastor, uh, uh, your sibling, somebody that you can say, you know, this is what we did the other night and things didn't go well. Help me. What do you think I I did right? What do you think I did wrong? And how can I improve? So it's a constant sort of awareness. You're above and below the parental awareness threshold. And that's okay. Sometimes we're going to be completely below it. No, you can't because I'm the parent and and just be quiet. Right. Um, I I think that it teaches them the wrong lesson if we can't make it a more interactive uh, response. So I have a three-year-old who gets in trouble right now. It seems like a lot. And I don't know if that's just because he's three or my responses to him. You know, the first, golly, I have, I have a list of questions here because I feel like 
I'm kind of stuck in a crazy cycle with him a little bit where he knows not to draw on the walls or the furniture. He knows he should be staying in bed, but you know, he'll get up 30 times a night, not, not overnight, but like once he's trying to go to bed and bed, bed, bedtime is like a two hour process for him. And I got to go pee. I got to go water, which is normal for, you know, normal parents. And, but it's just over and recessive and whining and he'll throw a fit for two hours before he'll finally go to bed. He'll, he'll intentionally get into things he knows he's not supposed to and either destroy them or like, it's just like, he's trying to consistently cause chaos. And as the, as a parent, a lot of my responses feel knee jerk reaction, you know, and it tends to be a lot of discipline. It feels like with him towards the evenings. And I just don't know what else to do or how to respond because it's like, I I don't want him to think like he can walk all over us and that it's just okay. And so I feel like he's constantly getting in trouble, which I don't like constantly getting on to him about. And so I, I I just don't know what to do. I feel like I've tried, you know, the empathy and like, yes, I know it's, it's hard not getting water before bed. But the thing is, if you have water, you're going to pee your bed. And, you know, I, I know sometimes going to bed is not fun. Like I've been empathetic. I've been extra gracious when he's drawn on stuff and I just don't know what to do. Well, uh, there is no quick fix to your, to your problem. Uh, if there was, I would have retired 20 years ago. Um <laughs> The, uh, <laughs> the uh, but the usual the uh, the important thing is to again is to look at the situation and say how can we restructure this? Um, I mean, so you know, if if going to bed is is and let's use that as as the prime example here. If going to bed is always a fight. Uh, I think you and your uh, and your spouse need to say, okay, how can we restructure this whole after dinner thing to have a more positive effect than this constant problem that we have? Um, and you might think, oh, we're just catering to him if we do that. We're giving in. I don't think so. He's yeah. three years. He's three years old. Um, He's not 18 years old. He's not 13 years old. He's three years old. Uh, and he, right now he's the, uh, you know, he's got, two, I presume, two older sibs. Uh, he has one older sibling. He's the middle. Okay. We have, we have a baby and then we have yeah. another baby on the way. Okay. Well, I mean, you know, so competition is an issue uh, for him. So, um, you know, they, there are different paradigms to try to come up with, but every, but every family is unique. I mean, depending on what, how you can devote your resources to this, I think you need to think back through, okay, if our goal is to get him in bed at eight 30, then we need to start this process at seven 30. And do we need to give the bath at seven 15? Do we need to brush his teeth at seven 30? What do we need to do? What, what pleasurable things can we have in terms of maybe a short, uh, you know, what books do we read? What, how, what do we do? But I think you need to look at that um, in terms of structuring things. And, and then also some, sometimes, I mean, there are times when one of the, does he have his own bedroom? No. Okay. Um, I mean, sometimes it's for a short period of time, 
Uh, and again, it feels like, oh, I'm giving in for a short period of time. Mom or dad could even, you know, pull up a, a mat on the floor, uh, say, okay, we're going to stay here for 15 minutes today or a half hour today. And we're going to do that uh, for this week. Next week, it's going to be 20 minutes. Next week, it's going to be 10 minutes. But that's part of us working through this issue to try to help things uh, be more successful. Um, and again, I, I can't put myself uh, in your shoes other than I think it really requires a significant saying, okay, we really need to relook at this in terms of looking at bath, bed, potty, brushing teeth, books. How can we change this so, so we do better? Uh, and it's unfortunately, it involves his older sib and his younger sib, because obviously with the, with the younger sib, it's just all of this might fall on you because mom's with, with the baby or whatever. So it's a question of trying to say, okay, how can we do this to, for things to be more successful and less confrontational? And that's one of the things I talk about conscious parenting is knowing sort of where your child is developmentally. I mean, what you expect out of a one-year-old, a three-year-old is different than a five-year-old, eight-year-old, 10-year-old. Right. I mean, so uh, your expectations can be different. Let me just one other issue that you mentioned, discipline. A lot of people think of discipline as punishment. Uh, I don't like that. Discipline, remember the root word for discipline is disciple, mm. to teach. So the whole point of discipline should be a teaching experience. Yeah. Now that's tough sometimes. Um, and, you know, when your child has that temper tantrum, three-year-olds are much more likely to have the temper tantrum. Um, the whole point of a temper tantrum is to change your behavior. So you take away the audience. Uh, so long as the child won't do anything destructive. <laughs> what do you mean by take away the audience? I mean, if he's having a fit in the, in the den, yeah. uh, everyone walks out of the den. Uh, and so long as he's not going to throw a lamp or hurt himself or destroy something. I mean, what do you think he, about removing him and putting him in his room? Versus us leaving. Um, well, you can you can do that. Um, I think it's more instructive for him to lose the audience. Okay. Um, again, that's tough. I mean, that's not going to happen. You're not going to do it, and then boom, it's going to change. Um, uh, but the other thing in terms of with the temper tantrum is that pause, assess, and choose. And if you know certain things lead to temper tantrums in terms of a disagreement with a sibling or, oh, boy, I know we're going to have something tonight. <laughs> Try to look at how you can sort of preempt that in terms of some sort of change. Right. Again, it's hard. Uh, you know, it's, it's the old it's the veritable two steps forward, one step back sometimes as you're as you're working on this. Uh, but just consistency, love, calm, uh, deliberate actions are, are important. Now, I have had times where one of my, my, I think it was my oldest son, had a temper tantrum where I little, where he literally, I was worried about him hurting himself or hurting something. So I just had to hold him, squeeze him in my lap. But I had to be careful not to squeeze too hard. 
I had to be careful not to raise my voice. And that, that's hard to do when your child's doing it, especially if they strike out at you and hit you. Um, but that's what parenting is all about, is, is being that calm. Uh, because if we want our children to learn the ways to be a good citizen, to learn the ways of Jesus, it's, it's, being, uh, it's being loving and caring, even in the most difficult times. The next few questions I have for you deal with uh, dealing with anxiety uh, while parenting. And specifically, like, one of my anxiety triggers that I've noticed is my kids. It's like, when it gets around five o'clock before we go get them from, from daycare, like, anxiety wants to creep in because I know as soon as we get home, it just feels like mass chaos until like eight or nine or 10 at night. And one, I'd like to have more calm and peace in the house. And so one, I'd love to have learned how to do that, but two, like how not to allow knowing the chaos affect me as a parent. So there's one question. And the second question would be, and I think this is kind of normal for parents is like, Whenever my kid is sick, we're not feeling good. My first thing is like the worst, like what's the worst thing that's happening, you know? And it wants to start getting anxious and it makes it harder for me to operate uh, appropriately, properly. Like if my kid is sick, it's like, you know, my wife is typically the one that takes the kids to the doctor, like in like, okay, they're sick. They need to go to the doctor. like right now, you know, like in not just ER, but like urgent care or something like that. She's normally that person because I have a hard time dealing with, with the anxiety of that. So what advice would you give to me or to parents that struggle with with that? Well, that's very, that's difficult. And and some of the most heated discussions uh, I've had as a pediatrician uh, or parents have basically been damning me for my what their appear to be inattentiveness. What my their perception of me being inattentive is because of their anxiety about their child's illness. Um, and I need to realize as the pediatrician. So I'm turning this a little bit, but I'll come back to your question. I need to realize as the pediatrician the set of circumstances that the that the parents are in. They're very concerned about their child. So if their usual guardrails that they might have in terms of social interactions are are gone uh, because they're going to do whatever they can to protect their child. Um, And so I think knowing that sometimes as a, because your child's sick, being consciously aware that your child is sick and that your reactions are heightened can be helpful. Um, I don't have any quick fix uh, for the anxiety that goes along with that, other than the conscious awareness that, you know, either I'm above the line, okay, I'm aware that I'm really upset and I'm really nervous, or I'm below the line and those, the, that receptionist at that doctor's office was really rude to me and I'm not going to take it anymore. When in point of fact, it might have been you that brought on that I think it's important that you sort of be just aware of where you are in the circumstance. And again, a lot of it depends on how sick the child is. Um, 
getting back to your question about how do you, um, once you pick up the kids, how do you resume normal life before everyone goes to bed? Boy, that's a toughie. Um, because they've been in this artificial circumstance. Uh, they've been in daycare where I don't know the circumstances of the daycare, how much they're allowed to sort of just be freewheeling or how much is structured or, or how much is there completely, you know, uh, playing all the time. You have a different set of circumstances at home and you sort of have different expectations. Some of this is going to be look at your expectations and say, you know, maybe my expectations for the next five years need to, need to be different <laughs> in terms of, you know, that, that might be the reality in terms of this parenting trip with three soon to be four kids. I mean, my, my expectations when I came home from work, uh, I have two, two sons, 12 years apart. So I essentially was parenting for the, you know, for 24 years, uh, uh, learning through all stages, my expectations of being able to come home, relax, uh, maybe turn on the evening news, uh, were completely shot. Uh, and I realized that my job was to attend to the children, attend to my spouse, and see what I could do. Yeah, uh, it was very easy. Just one child with three, it's just again, it's going to be you and your wife are going to have to look at how can we. If these are my expectations, how can we structure things to get there? Or maybe I need to change my expectations. Maybe we need to change our roles here a little bit. Yeah, I, no, I think that's a really great advice because I, I think I just need to change my expectations on that. You know, because for me, peace is something that's very important and, and calmness. And so, you know, my kids have a very structured day at school or at daycare and don't get me wrong. They have fun and they play and they do all that. But when they go home, it's like, it just becomes crazy wild. And maybe instead of trying to remain them structured, you know, they just need, they just need to be wild because that's, you know, their age group and demographic and a part of, of that. And maybe that will help even with the bedtime routine where and, and, and what you might look, and what you might look at and say okay from you know i don't know when supper is but say say everyone's home at five say kids you know for the next hour 45 minutes an hour you're on your own or, or you can play and be crazy but then we're going to start changing things at six or six fifteen or what or whatever right. i mean certainly with my youngest son whenever he came home from school he, he needed his hour by himself to do, to do his thing. Any attempt that we had in terms of his gauge, engaging him was completely gone. He needed his time and to, to do with what he wanted to do. Yeah. What is a, what, what's your theory on, on discipline? You know, some people are pro spanking, some people aren't, um, you know, spanking is a lot different than also beating because there's some people that think any spanking is a beating you know, what, what would be a good form of healthy discipline for, for children? Well, again, discipline to me is teaching. Discipline is not, is not nor ever hitting. So you, you now have somebody that's anti-corporal punishment uh, on your podcast. 
Okay. And let me tell you the reason, let me tell you the reasons why, you know, cause some, some people, as I've said this in the office, some fathers say, you know, my father gave me a good whooping and it really taught me a lesson. Um, the problem I have as a pediatrician is that when I look at data across all ages uh, and across all parents is the more like if the more children that were disciplined physically when they were children are more likely to be physically abusive when they grow up. Now, um, you know, let me give you the, the prime example. Not everyone that smokes gets lung cancer, but you and I don't want our kids to smoke because we know it significantly increases their risk for lung cancer. So not everyone that gets a spanking or a beating or a whooping uh, turns out to be physically abusive to their spouse, to other people or whatever, but it certainly increases their risk. And certain people, much like we talked about, learn to be the best parent you can be, certain people come to that spanking in different ways. The other thing I think uh, is when you spank or hit a child physically, you have taught them the lesson it's okay to hit somebody when you're mad. Because really, the only reason you spank a child is when you're mad, you're angry at what they did. The tough response is to take that pause to assess and choose to do something that's in a more disciplinary or teaching way. Now, there could be the circumstance when your child, you know, pulls away from your hand, runs out into traffic. Uh, you know, a life-saving measure is different to me um, right. than uh, the, the things that I th suspect you're asking about. So I am definitely anti-spanking, anti-popping, uh, anti-whooping, uh, whatever. So what, what would be the former correction? Well, the former correction is to start early with, I mean, it could be restriction of privileges. Uh, it could be going to your room for a period of time. It could be time out. It could be, and again, a lot of that sort of depends on the child. What is some of their valued, if it's depending on the age of the child, uh, what are their valued possessions or activities? Uh, now you got to be careful. I said, if you do that again, or if you do that, you can't do blank for a week. Well, that's that's probably absurd. Right. Uh, uh, but that's the sort of thing we oftentimes blurt out uh, when we're when we're angry. So we need to be careful in terms of what we do. So it could be, you know, you can't do blank, or you can't have blank, or I'm I'm going to ask you to sit quietly in your room for 15 minutes or 20 minutes or or whatever. Um, one of the <laughs> one of the longest punishments I ever did for my three year old. This is this is mildly humorous. We've been working on a house to sell it, and I just got done painting walls. And he took a sharpie, knowing he's not supposed to color anything. He drew all over the couches, the floor, the table, the walls, and our French doors um, that have lattices. And so I had to paint. The, all the small strips in between the lattice because like I couldn't just touch it up. I had to paint the whole thing. And um, so his punishment was he had to sit in the chair and watch me fix it all until it was fixed. So he was in the chair for like four hours um, until I was done so that he understood the amount of work, what he did caused. 
Well, I think that's, that's innovative. The timeline might be a little excessive, but I think that's innovative. Uh, and uh, I think that, uh, that's very appropriate. Yeah, it was, he, you know, he, he did a pretty good job of sitting there for, for the majority. There's times he got out and we put him back in, but man. And then after that, it was done. We didn't rag on him. We watched a movie and we had fun. Yeah. Uh, but man, that was... <laughs> That was one of those moments where I, you know, some of these techniques about pausing that you talked about is a few of the things that I do as well. And man, in that moment, I was just like, okay, go outside and just, you know, scream at a bird. <laughs> no, I didn't do that. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, you know, everything I've said here today, I've screwed up. Yeah. I mean, in my, in my parenting journey. Um, so, and any of us that don't acknowledge that are not, uh, are not being realistic. Um, but the point is learning. And that's where learning to be the best parent you could be. Uh, again, I don't think the skill set of being a parenting is innate. I, I think you need a map. I think you need help. And those the help might be your spouse, might be your parents, might be hopefully your pediatrician uh, is, is very good in terms of providing uh, guidance, but there can be other, other folks also along the way. Yeah. Well, Dr. Robert Saul, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast today. Where can people follow you? The, uh, I have my website. It's mychildrenschildren.com. Uh, and I had, the books are listed there. Uh, and I have an ongoing blog where I talk about parenting, but also various social issues. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time. And I hope you have a great day. Okay. Oh, very good. Thank you so much. Take care.